you'll turn to Colossians. And we are studying the book of Colossians, and we are showing, as Daniel has said, the, the fact that Christ is unrivaled. And last week we looked at verses 3 through 5, and we talked about the hope and the faith and, and love and what those look like in a believer's life. And, and at the end of verse 5, look with me at verse 5 is where I'll begin today. He says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. I want to focus just on though, that really the end there of verse 5 and those couple of words today. Truth and gospel. These, these, this faith, this love, this hope, Paul connects it to the gospel. But he also makes a, very, he makes a statement here that, listen, the world hates. He, he says the gospel of Jesus Christ is truth. That, that truth, that salvation, that true faith, love, hope only come through Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's true. And, and this is huge. Paul connects the gospel of Jesus Christ to absolute truth. Uh, the, that, and, that, and that really is the issue. Truth. Even when Jesus was being crucified, Caiaphas said, what is truth? That, that even today, people are asking the same thing. What is truth? What is truth? And we see throughout the scriptures that the Bible puts forth not only that it is true, but that the gospel is truth. John 17, 17, your word is truth. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. The truth. Not one of many truths, the truth. I mean, it, 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 you look at passages like Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. I, I show these just to show the, the reality of truth. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. If you were to go back to Romans chapter 2, verse 8, he says, But to those who are fleshly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness and wrath and indignation. Galatians 5, verse 7, again, connects it to truth. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? The, the, gospel, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, this, that, that this word relays to us, puts forth that it is truth. It's not one of many truths. It's not, it's not one of many. It's not, it's not an opinion. It's not, it's not man grasping for truth. It is the truth. And, and for believers in Jesus Christ, truth and the gospel, you see it on your handout, they're synonymous. They're interchangeable terms. If you say that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're saying that this gospel is singularly truth. And that eliminates all the other gospels. Truth. That what what you're, 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 you're placing all your trust in this gospel and, and all the other so-called gospels that this, this world offers, you're saying they're not true. 
And what, what Jesus, what this word, what, it, what everything in this Bible says is that there is one true gospel. That, that's what makes us believers. There's one true gospel. Paul is putting forth here in Colossians, and we saw all throughout his writings, there's one true gospel. And, and, and really, that, that's, that's really what the world claims to hate. Think about that, truth. The, 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 world, the world hates the fact, when the, especially today, when, when, when you claim something to be the truth, the way. And, and what, what most of the world has, the biggest issues with, they'll, they'll say their biggest issue with Christianity, although Islam claims this, Jehovah's Witnesses claim you know, other religions claim, again, one way. They're differing ways, but they would claim one way. It's exclusivity. It's the exclusivity of saying this is one way. And listen, all truth involves exclusivity. When I say that Karen Basham is my wife, guess who I've excluded? I've excluded every other woman in the world. Exclusivity. When you say that car out there is mine, you've excluded every, it's exclusive. These children are, my, whatever the truth is, truth by its very nature is exclusive. It's narrow. Interestingly enough, we saw, remember when we saw in 1 Timothy 3, 15 and 16, what did it say? The church is the pillar and the support of truth. You and I exist to defend truth, not a truth. The truth. As believers, listen, as believers, we are saying we have been saved by the one and the only way that a person can be saved from the penalty of their sins. Exclusive. We have put all of our eggs in the basket of Jesus Christ to the exclusion of, of Allah, to the exclusion of, of, of who Jehovah's Witnesses would put forth, to the exclusion of what Mormons would put forth, all these other, we have excluded all of them. They're not the same. And the world hates that. And, and Paul, Paul makes it very clear here. You see it on your handout. The truthfulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the focus of verses 5 through 8. And that's a key point to what Paul will put forth in the rest of Colossians. Listen, why could Paul call the false teachers false? It's because they deviated from the truthfulness of the gospel. He says, which you heard through the truth of the gospel. Go down to verse 6. Which has come to you in all the world, just as in all the world, also constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it had been doing in you since the day you've heard of it, and understood the grace of truth. Truth. The, the issue at hand is truth. Why can we point out false teachers? It's because truth. God's word presents that, that plumb line, if you will, of what is straight. Therefore, you can tell where you've deviated. Why? Because the gospel is truth. And to be a Christian is to declare that truth. Jesus Christ, singular, singular, exclusive truth. And that's what Paul puts forth here. It's truth. The essential nature of the gospel is truth. It's the very essence of the gospel. Truth. 
And, and, the, and again, it's based on factual evidence. It's based on the life, death, resurrection of Christ. It's based on all these things, but it's truth. And you and I have to believe it by faith in order to be a believer. And, and this is very relevant for us today. Because we, we live in a world that worships the idol of tolerance. Tolerance. The world loves tolerance. The, the, the irony there is, is the same people that say they're tolerant are intolerant of anyone who don't believe what they believe. There's irony there. At the God of tolerance that this world offers is a bunch of intolerant people to anyone who doesn't believe what they believe. So those people will claim that we're intolerant and at the same time they're being exactly what they accuse us of, intolerant. Why? Because, listen, truth is exclusive. It's exclusive. And, and I want to, I before we get into the gospel, I want us today to have a clear picture of the gospel, but I want to answer a few questions. I want to give us answers to a few questions and just really show the, the circular reasoning, if you will, the foolishness of the questions that really the world puts forth. And, and, and again, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, The God of this world, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the hearts and the minds of the unbelieving. Listen, sin blinds. Satan blinds. And, and, and he gets people to live on these, these arguments and these, these positions that are they're foolish. And the reality is this. The people who don't believe in Jesus Christ are believing what they believe by faith, just as you who are, who are believers in Jesus Christ are believing by faith. Faith. And so I want to give us, a, I want to answer a couple of questions here to just allow, to equip us when we're, if we're out talking and, and, and really giving a defense for the hope that is in us that we're commanded to do in, in 1 Peter 3.15 to, to help us be able to answer questions that the world throws at us. And, 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 and in, in an effort of, of being tolerant, these are the questions, some of the questions, there's more, but we don't have time for all of them, but I want to give a couple key questions. Key, key really positions that the world maintains. And the first one you'll see on your handout is this, that all major religions are equally valid and basically teach the same thing. Well, the claim of the world, and you'll see it on your handout, is that all religions can be equally true. That's what they want to believe. They, they're all equally true. And from the standpoint of religion, they'll say, well, what is true for you may not be true for me, but that's okay because we're just talking about religious truth, that it's personal, that basically everyone gets to make up their own rules. But, but that's illogical and absurd. And the reality is this, these same people will tell you that doctrine doesn't matter, but yet they're living by a doctrine. They're living by a view of God. Just like you and I are living by a view of God. It, that, the irony is that they don't, want, they don't want to believe in doctrine, and yet they're living by doctrine. It's a view of God. And it holds that, look, whether they acknowledge it or not, they're, they're saying that a specific view, they hold a specific view of God, and then they expect everyone else to hold that same view. And, and again, the irony is, is that the world on so many levels are pushing on people the very thing that they say they hate and the people they're pushing it on. Intolerance. 
They say that, no, you don't, you can't possibly, here's what they'll say, you can't possibly know truth about God. Well, and, and, and let me illustrate that. Let me illustrate that for a second. So, suppose, suppose, because behind that is really an arrogance. And behind that is a really a view that really is the same view that you and I are holding. It's just at a different point. Because suppose this, listen to this, suppose and stick with me because this is going to get somewhat, these three points philosophical, but they, they have to be because truth. Suppose that several, suppose that several, three, let's say three blind men were walking down a street and, and they encountered, they encountered an elephant. They didn't know it was an elephant. And that elephant allowed them to touch it and to feel it. And so suppose the first blind man was at the front of the elephant and he's touching and feeling and he feels this long round object and he, he comes to the conclusion that it's a snake. Okay? He, he can't see it. He, he feels it and based on what he feels, he comes to the conclusion that it's a snake. Well, the other man, the, one of the other blind men is, is over here and he's feeling this huge thing down low to the ground and it touches the ground and he says, this is a tree. When really what he's touching is the leg. But because he can't see it, he comes to the conclusion that it's a tree, but really it's an elephant's leg. And suppose the other third blind man is feeling its side and it's huge and it's round and he says, this is, an, this is a balloon. When really he's feeling his belly. Listen, they're all feeling the same thing and they think they're feeling something different. They all three come to different conclusions. Were they equally right? No. The reality is it's an elephant. Doesn't matter what you feel. It's an elephant. And, and, I, and I say all that because the truth is it was an elephant that they were feeling. Every single blind man could only feel part of the elephant. Thus, they couldn't, they couldn't envision the entire elephant. And, and that's the way that the world tries to view religions, that, that each has a handle on only part of the truth. And on the surface, on the surface, that sounds humble. The problem is, is they, they will attack you and I as Christians for saying we hold the truth, when over here, you know what they're saying? By say, they're saying they hold the truth. Because how would you know that you and I don't hold the whole truth unless somebody outside wasn't blind and saw the elephant? Somebody's got to see the entire elephant to know that the people are only feeling part of the elephant. And, and so the, the humility is that they'll say, look, you can't possibly know. But, but again, the only reason they would know that is if they saw the whole elephant. Again, that would be an arrogant claim. And that's the same thing that they say against Christianity when we say, we, when I say, let's see for myself, when I, when I stand up against criticism and say, no, I believe this is entirely truthful, that this is the one way, they'll say that's arrogant. But no, 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 you're claiming the same arrogance. See, but here's the beauty of Christianity. The beauty of Christianity is this, is that the Bible is so arrogant, if you will, to put forth, that's the whole point why Jesus came. Jesus Christ gave us a glimpse of God. How can we make statements about God? Because Jesus explained him. Listen to John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word of God, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
Go down to verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Go down to verse 18. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. Listen, Jesus Christ gave us a view, I don't mean to sound weird here, but of the elephant. Jesus Christ allows us who are blind to see God, to have a clear view of God. Even go to, go to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also he made the world. And he, listen, and Jesus is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Why can we make statements about God? Because Jesus Christ has revealed him. He's taken the blinders off our eyes so that we're not grasping around. We're not making assumptions about God. We're not guessing about God. We have revealed truth about God. Again, a, a, a claim, but it, we, a, a bold claim, and yet we believe it by faith. But it's no different than the claim over here who says you can't know truth. Yes, you can. My question becomes, are you making a truthful statement to say that I can't know truth? At the end of the day, again, you're saying the same thing. And again, Christ claimed, even, what, even where we're getting in... in Verse 15 of chapter 1 of Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God. We believe as Christians by faith that Jesus Christ revealed God. We build our lives on that. We build our theology on that. It is a position held by faith, but it's no different than that of the world in a sense. We believe by faith that this is true. And by very nature of truth, again, Christ claimed that truth exists. So by the very nature of claiming truth exists, therefore falsehood exists. Jesus said, I am the radiance, I'm the image, I'm the representation of God. Therefore, truth exists. And, and your personal opinions about religion may be true. But if they're true for you, listen to me, they're true for the whole world. That's the very nature of truth. If it's true for me, it's true for the rest of the world if it's true. You know, if you meet somebody who says, Christ is true for you, but not for me, you, you can tell him lovingly, look, you're entitled to your own private opinion, but you're not entitled to your own private truth. Truth is truth. Now, again, we're accepting it by faith, but all I'm saying to you is this. The person who denies your faith is also standing on faith. The beauty is this. We have Jesus Christ who claims to have revealed God. Therefore, we can make firm Truthful, truthful statements about who God is. The, the other question they'll say is this. But, so my point is they can't all be equally valid. No different than the three blind men who were feeling about on the elephant. They, they weren't equally true. They were all wrong. The reality is they were feeling an elephant. Just because they thought it was true didn't make it true. They're not all equally valid. Secondly, they'll say religious beliefs are culturally conditioned. Too culturally conditioned to be absolute truth. Let me ask you a question. Think through this. Is 2 plus 2 equals 4, is that a Western philosophy? What about gravity? Is that just something we believe here in America and the rest of the world just does their own thing? Hmm. 
What about, what about, what about laws of science? I, I tutor some kids on Wednesday afternoons at Odessa Elementary in math. And um, they're going through some multiplication and, and uh, you know, they have some, some things going on physically that, that make it difficult for them to learn. And so we're working through that. And one little girl Wednesday, she said, six, plus, six times four equals 24? I said, listen, for the rest of your life, six times four is going to equal 24. They, they've got this system where they've got to, it's beyond me because they've got to work it out. They've got all this stuff to, they want it, the school wants to teach them the why behind it. I'm like, who cares about the why? It's 24. <laughs> Take four groups of six, it's going to be 24. For the rest of your life, it's going to be 24. You know, they got like two pages of paper. I'm sitting there, it's been 24 this whole time. I told you it was 24. I promise you, when you get down there, it's going to be 24. Memorize it. So the teacher's like, Chris, they can't memorize it. They got, just memorize it. Guess what? And then the next problem, nine times nine is going to be 81 for the rest of your life. Mark it down. True. But my point is this. Odessa Elementary don't have their own math system. What's true at Odessa Elementary is true over here. And it's true at every other school. Two plus two is four. Look, truth exists outside of ourselves. It's not true because you think it's true. It's not true because you want to be true. It's true because it's true. Okay, it's true because it's true. And what the world wants you to believe, and you see it in our handout, that, that, that truth is relative to who, where you are in your surroundings. But listen to me, even that... Again, they will say, well, Christianity is a socially conditioned thing. But that statement you just made, the truth is relative, is socially conditioned. Everyone, everyone is impacted by their surroundings. If you and I were born in another culture, in another country, look, we would live life differently, but that would not make truth less true. Truth is truth. And religion doesn't, religion doesn't lie outside the bounds of truth. It doesn't lie outside the bounds of logic. Do we believe it by faith? Yes, but we believe it by faith because we believe it's true. And listen, logic, logic states this. If there is one true God, as this Bible puts forth, then there's not two, there's not three, and there's not ten. Truth is truth. And what separates Christianity apart from Islam or Mormonism or Jehovah Witnesses or all these others is, the, is truth. What is truth? And, and if you boiled them down, if you boiled them down, even if you went to just who is Jesus Christ, we can't all be right. Truth. Was Jesus Christ God in the flesh? It's, it's a yes or no. It's truth. It's about truth. Because we can't all be right. Listen, we can all be wrong, but we can't all be right. Why? Because we differ about who is Jesus Christ. Mormonism does not believe in the same... I don't care what they say and the lies they... They'll use the same words. They do not believe in the biblical Jesus Christ. They believe that God came down and had sex with Mary and they had a child and that all of us were gods at one time and then we can it's crazy. Like I don't have enough faith to believe that. 
Islam does not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. They do not believe at all that he was born of a virgin. They do not even believe in the, the crucifixion. That he was, they would say no, that he was taken off. It's, it's different. But my point is that Jehovah's Witnesses, they do not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. My point is this. This Bible says that Jesus Christ was 100% God, 100% man. So listen, they can't all be right. I, I, it doesn't, I, it, you know, it may make me uncomfortable, it may make me unpopular. I put all my eggs in this basket. I believe singularly that this Bible is right. It's true. I believe that. That makes me a believer. But, but guess, listen, it is excluded at the same time I have excluded every other religion. Why? Because the issue is truth. They can't put forth different things and both be true. And as much as the world wants you, they're not all the same because they believe different things. I mean, if I brought you up here, I mean, again, truth is exclusive. If, if I, again, if I say this is my wife, I've excluded every other person. It's exclusive. And, and again, the, the differing religions, they are irreconcilably different. They cannot simultaneously be true. Again, they might all be false, but they can't all be true. And if one religion of the world is true, then listen, it's true for everyone. That's the essence of truth. And the issue is whether you've committed the issue is whether you've committed yourself to a religion, to a belief system, to a doctrine that's true. And Paul says, this gospel of Jesus Christ is unequivocally true. To be a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what we hold. To the exclusion of every other gospel, to the every other opinion, to the every, every other doctrine of who Jesus is, we're saying this one's true. And we have to resist, as believers, this notion that there's a sharp distinction between what's true for math and science and the definition of truth there, and then come over here to religion, and we set aside the definition of truth and think we can all be true. We can't. That's not, it's not true. It, religion, doctrine, it's not a personal, private matter, and you're not free to believe whatever you want to believe. The issue is truth. The, the third thing people say is it's arrogant to in, insist that one religion is white and, one, and the others are wrong. But, but, but le, is it less arrogant to say that all claims about religion are wrong except the one that I'm making right now? Because that's what the world is basically saying. You claiming, to, you claiming to know is wrong, but me claiming that you don't know isn't wrong? That doesn't make any sense. If I'm arrogant for claiming Christ is the only way, the world is just as arrogant for claiming that he's not the only way. The reality is this, truth makes claims. Every single one of us are building our lives on truth. We're building our lives on something we hold to be true. I mean, again, two plus two equals what? Four. The answer will always be four. That's not a regional thing. It's not a cultural thing. It's true because it's true. It's four because it's true. And again, that's the Bible. This Bible puts forth 
the, the belief that just as sure that 2 plus 2 equals 4, Jesus Christ is the only way that man's sins can be dealt with. That's what the Bible puts forth. And I've staked my whole eternity on that truth. And that's the truth. Again, nothing has changed. That's what Paul battled in Colossae. To look beyond Christ, to, to, to take Christ and then you need all this extra stuff to miss and match, to, to syncretize, to take all religions and just kind of blend them together and form some superior. That's a lie. It sounds good on the surface, it's a lie. Why? Because it's not truthful. And there are irreconcilable differences between biblical Christianity and let's just say Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism, and Islam, and Hindu, and Buddhism, and all these... Di Again, there's irreconcilable differences. They can't all be true at the same... They could all be false, but they can't all be true. They can't be. They, they contradict each other. Again, even if we reduced it down to Jesus Christ, they contradict each other. And look at verse 6. Paul makes the claim, which has come to you just as in all the world. Paul, again, constantly bearing fruit and increasing. Paul puts forth here, you see it on the handout, the universal truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It wasn't a regional truth. He was taking it everywhere, and it was bearing fruit everywhere. We are saved by the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ to the exclusion of every other gospel. And because the issue is truth. And we better, because of that, look at Galatians 1. Listen to Galatians 1, 8, 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say now again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Why could Paul say that? Because he believed that there was truth. It's very important that we get the gospel right. I mean, think about, think about, illustrate this. Think about your medicine. Think about your pills. So suppose I gave you a, a bottle of pills and you took them, what are you assuming? You're assuming that somebody hasn't changed them. What if I altered the formula of those pills? Would you still take it? No. Because what if I took out the one ingredient that you really, really needed the most? You change the, ingre you change the formula in medicine, you look, it changes the pill. It's not effective anymore. You change the gospel, you alter the gospel, it's not effective. It's because the issue is truth. Just like your pills are designed to be specifically effective for what you take them, and they've built it upon that. The formula is for that reason. The gospel has been created by God, given by God, specifically as it is. You change it, you've destroyed it. You've destroyed its effectiveness. And we who are believers have staked everything, everything on the issue of this gospel of Jesus Christ and whether it's truthful. That this gospel is not simply a way to be saved. It is the way to be saved from the penalty of your sins. The way. Again, to the exclusion of everything. And so I want to spend, and Paul talks about that in, in verse 6. Heard in verse 5. And heard in the word of truth the gospel. 
I want to spend a few moments here and, and talk about the gospel. Because again, if we alter this gospel, Paul says you've been accursed. If we alter the gospel, it loses its power. I want to give us some the characteristics of the gospel. When we go share, when we say when we shared the gospel, there's some characteristics that have got to be there in order for it to be accurate. And, and the issue again is how do unrighteous God's creation who are unrighteous because of their sin, how are they reconciled to a holy God? How are they brought back into the kingdom of God? How are they brought back into the people of God? And there's lots of plans out there. Is it works? Is it works plus faith? Is it just faith? Is faith in what? So we want to be real clear. We need to be real clear. Because Paul says that, again, it's rooted in the gospel, the truth of the gospel. Hope is the issue. But it's, the issue is what's the gospel. Turn with me to Romans 9 real quick. Turn with me to Romans 9, verse 30. We're going to spend the last few minutes here looking at some other passages, but really ver starting in verse Romans 9, just... Paul puts forth of through 30 through 33. I want to answer the question for us, give you some characteristics of the gospel. Make sure we're believing in a biblical gospel. Make sure we're sharing a biblical gospel. Paul says in Romans 9, verse 30, What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which was by faith? But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. I, I want to take this passage, and, and I want to give us some characteristics, you'll see there on your handout, of the gospel. To make sure that we're, again, we're believing an accurate gospel and that we're sharing an accurate gospel. And the first thing we see here is that the gospel is news. It's news. Look what Paul says. He's quoting here in, in Isaiah. He's quoting, behold, behold. You know what he's saying there? Listen up. The gospel is something that has to be declared. It has to be told. It has to be proclaimed. All throughout the Bible, you see men, men proclaiming, announcing. The, the word there that you use for gospel, it literally means a message of victory. It would be delivered through a messenger, and it would be a message of victory. We see this in Luke chapter 2, verse uh, 10 and 11. Let me read Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and 11 real quick. But the angel said to them, again, declared, Do not be afraid, for behold, you hear it, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For in the city today of David... There has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You, you go to where, what, what did they say to the angels? Behold, do not be afraid. I proclaim to you good news of great joy for all the people. Listen, the gospel is, is, is good news in that it announces the only genuine victory over sin that can be known. That's the good news. Behold, there is a way for unrighteous people unrighteous sinners to be reconciled to a holy God. It's news. And news has to be declared. Listen, 
I don't care how good a life you live. I don't care how good a person you are. I don't care how sweet you are, nice you are. No one's going to look at Jeff Knight, for instance. I'll pick on Jeff. I just picked you out and say, that guy's a good guy. You know what? I must be a sinner. And Jesus Christ must have died to reconcile me to a holy God. They're not going to do it. Now, our lives ought to line up with that gospel, but the gospel has to be told. It has to be proclaimed. It's news. But, but not only is it news, the gospel, number two, there is God-centered news. God-centered news. Look what it says. Behold, I lay. The gospel is God's doing. It's God's doing. And that thought alone negates so much of the world believes of, of there not being a God. The, the good news, you see it on your hand out of the gospel, is there is a living God who created all things and can be known. Paul said that in Acts, that which you claim to not know, let me declare to you the God that can be known. There's a God that created all the world and he can be known. Listen to, listen to what it says in Mark 1.14. Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Listen. It's news that God has made a way. And again, this God, look, the sinner is not the focus of the gospel. God is the focus of the gospel. God is the hero of the gospel. The gospel you see it on your hand at is news of what God has done to offer reconciliation to his creation, who had sinned and been separated from him. This is a God-centered news. We, we saw that, in, we saw that in, you see it in 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who knew no sin. God did that. You, you see in 1 Peter 3.18 that, that the reward of salvation is a, re, is a reconciliation to God. The, God. the gospel is the story that God has created everything, created the world we live in, everything in it. That creation has fallen into sin. They've chosen to live according to their own wisdom, not in submissive to God's wisdom. As a result, again, sinners are separated from the righteousness of God. They're separated. You see it in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? He threw them out of the garden. Because a holy God cannot be in the presence of unrighteous people. And God has made a way for sinful man, his creation, to be reconciled to himself through Jesus Christ. And God, Jesus Christ, though being fully God, took on humanity lived a perfect, sinless life, died on a cross because the wages of sin is death, three days later was resurrected, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father. In his absence, he sent us the Spirit, and we'll get to that in a minute. But you and I cannot be reconciled to God on our own efforts. That, that's what he says here with regards to Israel and Gentiles. The Gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness got it. Israel who pursued it didn't. God's the hero. The gospel, you see it on your handout, is God redeeming and rescuing His creation back to Himself and reigning as Lord of their lives in this world. Reconciliation, restoration. The truth that one day this God is coming back to judge the world for their sin. But it's God-centered news, and that's the story from Genesis to Revelation. God-centered news. But, but the gospel is also Christ-centered news. 
Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of offense. If you were to go to Matthew 21, 42, if you were to go to Isaiah, if you were to go to... There's so many passages. Jesus Christ is that stone of stumbling and rock of offense. You know, this is why, this is why Jesus Christ is singularly the issue and the, 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 the really the boiling point, the center point of, of all these different religions. It's Christ. Who is Christ? That's the issue. And, and what the Bible, again, what the Bible puts forth is that Jesus Christ is king and he has every right to demand and exert his power and authority and rule over your lives. You go all the way back to Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what's coming. Well, guess what? Jesus shows up in Bethlehem, and what do they name him? Emmanuel, God with us. Your king is here. Your long-awaited king is here. The one promised in Genesis 3.15, he's here. And he has every right, every right to exert authority over your lives. Every right to make demands. Romans 10.12, For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. Why does, we, we believe, why does Jesus have the right to judge? Because he's Lord of all. He's the King of kings and Lord of all. We believe that by faith. No matter who you are. And listen, that's offensive. That's offensive to a world that doesn't want to hear about that. We live in a world that they want to be sovereign, that they want to rule their own lives, and yet the Bible says, no, no, there's one ruler, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, and his name is Jesus. That's, we, we, that's what the Bible puts forth. Guess what? I believe that. E even in Colossians. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Who's, who did that? Jesus did that. I didn't get better. I didn't have a moral improvement. I didn't, no, Jesus did that. And I accept his work by faith on my behalf. But, but the cross, listen, the gospel is cross-centered news. It's cross-centered news. And, and the rock of offense is that God crucified his son through faith in, through, and through faith in him we can be declared righteous. That, that again... Matthew 20, 28, for, for Jesus, Jesus says, for, for, you know, I, for I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. A ransom. And, and the cross, listen, the cross is offensive because it destroys, you see it on our handout, our pride and thoughts of us working our way to God. Of us meriting our own, our own salvation. That was Israel's problem. They wanted, they wanted to, to, to determine a, a righteousness of their own. You go all the way back to, you go to 1 Corinthians. That, Paul makes this very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He goes down in verse 22. For God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the apparent weakness of God is stronger than men. 
he goes on to say, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many of you wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world to shame the things that are, and the base things of the world and despised God has chosen. Do you realize, think about that statement right there, how humbling that is. You know who God chose to save? The despised. Think about that. Think about that. You know why the, why the cross is so, so difficult? Why it's such a stumbling block? Because it, it destroys mine and your pride. It's, it's a testimony to the only... Here's what it testifies to. Yours and mine guilt because of sin. That's what it testifies to. We hate that. We hate it. John, it, again, the, I, hear, I hear it all the time. The cross is a testimony to my worth. No, it's not. It's not primarily a testimony to your worth. It's a testimony to your guilt. It's a testimony to my guilt. It's a testimony to the holiness of God that in order to reconcile his creation back to himself, he had to crucify his son. He had to crucify his son. John Piper, who is one of my favorites, in, in, in his book, The Supremacy of God, listen to what he says. I'm running out of time. i got to hurry. I'm past time, according to some of y'all I know. Forgive me. It horribly skews the cross when contemporary prophets of self-esteem say that the cross is a witness to my infinite worth since God was willing to pay such a high price to get me. The biblical perspective is that the cross is a witness to the infinite worth of God's glory and a witness to the immensity of my sin and my pride. The cross stands in witness to the infinite worth of God and His infinite outrage to sin. L listen to what Isaiah, This I think it's here, right here, hold on. Yeah, Isaiah 48, 11. Listen to what it says. Starting in verse 9, For the sake of my name I delay my wrath, and for my praise I restrain it for you, in order to not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Listen to what he says. And this is a summary statement for God's actions. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned? And my glory I will not give to another. Why the cross? God's glory. God's worth. God is buying back sinners. He's buying back enemies. I mean, all throughout, it's a, again, it, it, why, why the cross is such a stumbling block is because it destroys my pride. It destroys my ability to get to God on my own. But, but the gospel is also grace-centered. Listen to Romans 10, brethren, verses 1 through 5. My heart's desire and my prayer to you, to God for them, is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance to knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness for everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. Listen, it wasn't about zeal. They had zeal. 
It wasn't about just man. If you're, I hear it all the time. Look, if you're just sin, what matters in sincerity? Israel was sincere. They were sincerely wrong. Why? Because the issue is truth. It wasn't in accordance to knowledge. Truth. Even, even here in our passage in Romans 9, the Gentiles gained righteousness that they didn't pursue. Israel missed a righteousness that they pursued. Listen, you sit on your hand up. Faith is not a pursuit. It is a gift of grace. Grace. The Gentiles didn't pursue it, and yes, they got it. And yet they got it, and Israel pursued it and missed it. Why? Because it's faith. It's grace. Again, even here, again, in Colossians, if this is about truth. He talks about grace, the grace of God in truth. And our down, listen, the, what makes the gospel, you see down here, good news is, that gra- is the grace that allows us to enjoy the glory of God in Christ and fellowship with God in this. Enjoy God. We can enjoy a relationship with God. We have been placed, as we saw, in Christ. But the gospel is also future-centered news. It's future-centered news. He goes on, listen to what he says. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. Paul goes on to say the same thing in verse 11 of chapter 10. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. There's coming a day, Romans 18, Romans 8.18, Paul says, For I do not consider the present troubles worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. There's a future aspect to our salvation. We, we, we said it, we have been saved in hope. A hope that is not fully seen. And yet faith in Christ, we saw it, guarantees that those who trust in Him will not be disappointed. Listen, the gospel is not an insurance policy. Think about this. Anybody ever studied their auto insurance policy? You have? Keep your hand down. Destroys the illustration. <laughs> anybody, anybody, anybody ever sat down and just really read and really studied their homeowner's insurance policy? No. Why? You pay your premium and then you just hope to never use it. You pay your premium and you just hope. Look, I, I hope that what that dude said is... Look, there's no relationship there. And, and we can't make the gospel out to be like an insurance policy where we pray a prayer and so-called pay our premium and then just say, well, I hope it all works out. No, no, there's a relationship. You've been reconciled to God. And, and, and again, you've been adopted and brought into the family of God. You've been placed into a new kingdom, and at the uh, sitting on that throne is Jesus Christ as King. He demands your allegiance, your life. And here's the promise: You live for me. You live for me in the flesh. You live for me. And you glorify me and you live for my kingdom while on earth. And here's the promise: when you die, you will not be disappointed. You live for me today. You live for me. You live to my glory for the rest of your life. And here's the promise I'll make to you. 
you, when I die, when you die, you will not be disappointed. Faith. It's faith like we saw last week in what has not been seen. But the response, the response to that, listen real quickly and I close, the response is this. Christianity, biblical Christianity, is spending the rest of our lives learning about the great God who will offer us reconciliation. That's what Paul said in Philippians 3, that I may know Him. I, I, I've given away everything. I've done all of this just to know Him and the power of His resurrection, but also the fellowship of His sufferings. It was, a, it was an intimacy. But, but Christianity is also spending the rest of our lives living for the glory of the great God who has offered us this reconciliation. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a spiritual sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And do not be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so they may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and perfect and acceptable and pleasing. We've been put in a new kingdom, believer. The rest of our lives is us learning, learning that ethic and learning to please the king of that new kingdom. That's Christianity. And I, I want, it's true. Look, by faith, by faith, I believe that that gospel is true. And by the very nature, I've excluded every other gospel. But it's, that's, that's the exclusivity of truth. And if you think for one second, if I think for one second that I can diversify and kind of lean on a bunch of different truths and just kind of gather them all up and like we would our stock portfolio and kind of diversify and you no matter what, it, no, no, you're wrong. That's not faith. Biblical faith that saves is putting all our eggs in the exclusive basket of Jesus Christ. It is leaning your entire weight upon Jesus Christ. Christ. That's why Paul would call the false teachers false, is because they deviated from the truth of the gospel. And I say all that today to make sure that we're trusting in a biblical gospel. And not only that, but that we're responding biblically to a biblical gospel. It's not an insurance policy. It's not a pray you prayer and then you move on and live the rest of your life and just when you die you get... No, that's not Christianity. It's surrendering your entire life to the King who died and paid for your sins. That's biblical Christianity. And, and listen, believer, not only is God going to come back and judge the unbelievers, He's going to come back and judge believers for how they stewarded the grace that God gave them. Don't forget that. He's going to come back, believer. If you're a non-believer today, he's going to come back and he's going to judge you for your sins because you didn't cast them upon Jesus. But if you're a believer, he's going to come back and he's going to say, what did you do with the grace that I gave you? And every single one of us are going to stand before him and give an account for what we did with our lives. I'm not saying you'll not lose your salvation, but, but, you will, but you'll lose rewards. That's biblical. And what he's saying is, by faith, trust me, give up this brief life that you have on earth, and when you die, believer, you will not be disappointed. And only Christianity offers that hope. Only Christianity offers that promise. 